Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Look at verse number 16 of Romans chapter 4. So therefore, someone said, if you want to understand the book of Romans, look for all of the therefores in the book of Romans. So verse number 16, because of everything else that I just said. So therefore, it is a faith. Okay, so you have to understand what the it is. Is. You need to know what it is to know that this is actually very good information. So therefore, it. The it here is the righteousness of God. So the right relationship we have with God. What will you do with your sin? Your sin separated you from God. How will you deal with your sin? Therefore, the righteousness of God, a right relationship with God is, look at the verse, therefore it is of faith. How do we have a right relationship with God? How are we made right with the living God of the universe? See, how you answer that question is very important. Because everyone has an answer, but what is the right answer? How will you make your relationship with God right because you and I have sinned? So therefore, the righteousness of God is of faith. It comes by way of faith. Look at the next phrase. That it might be by grace. So this is everything positive. Grace, undeserved favor from an unobligated giver. The righteousness of God is by faith that it might be or because it is by grace. It's the grace of God that leads us to repent. It's the grace of God that leads us to see that our sin has separated us from God. That our sin has an eternal punishment attached with it. That the wages of sin is death. And that because of our sin, Jesus died on the cross in our place. Therefore, the righteousness of God is by faith because it comes to you and to me through grace. Through grace. And really what we've said already is that message right there is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says a right relationship with God is given to you because you're religious, because you help the poor, because you give to the church, because you're, you're kind to your neighbor, because you always drive the speed limit. I got some of you on that one. I got some of you on that one. See, every other religion in the world says the way you get the righteousness of God is by good works. But the message of Christianity is the way that the righteousness of God comes to you, it comes to me, by grace, but through faith. It is of faith, by grace, in who? In the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And really that's how the chapter ends. Skip down several verses to chapter number to verse number 22. So therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And the him there is talking about Abraham. We're going to tell his story in a minute. But we used, we talked about that word imputed last week. And that literally means counted to. Remember we used the idea of the bank account? And it was, it's an accounting term. So it's, it's added to Abraham. The righteousness of God was counted as, it was added to Abraham as righteousness in the eyes of God. So 
verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see what he just said? How do we get the righteousness of God? By faith through grace. By faith through grace in what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us when he died on the cross for our offenses, for our sin, Big Bible words here, $5 words, transgression, iniquities, right? Those are, those are $5 words. So because Jesus died on the cross for our sin, our iniquities, our offenses, and we put, we put our faith, we leaned, remember the wheelbarrow? We leaned our way onto the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our hope in him. We believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved is what Paul will say later. You see how that works out? So what, he's, what he does between verse 16 and verse 22 is he gives us an illustration. He gives us an example by way of the man named Abraham. Okay, so look at verse 16 now. So therefore it is of faith that it might be of grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all seeds. What that means is, so we can be certain of the promise that God has given to us. So we can be certain that God will do what God said he would. So we can be to the end of the promise that we might be sure to all seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what Paul is doing is he's dissecting the nature of Abraham's faith. And he's in dissecting the, the nature of Abraham's faith, he's showing you and me what saving faith looks like, what saving faith does. How not only was it imputed to Abraham, not only was righteousness counted to an unrighteous Abraham, but righteousness is counted to an unrighteous David Delaney. No amens on that point right there. Don't be like, mm-hmm, this guy is not a good guy, okay? No, but not only is righteousness counted to Abraham, but righteousness is counted to me. And not only is righteousness counted to me, but hear me, righteousness is counted to you. But this is even better. Righteousness can be counted to all those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness can be counted to all. That's what he says. Not only to them which are of the law. And not only to good, moral, religious, civil people. No, no. Righteousness can be counted to all. Why? Because all have sinned. Because Jesus died on the cross for all men. And all who believe in Jesus can then have it counted as righteousness for themselves. So he's, he's dissecting faith. And in dissecting the nature of faith, he gives us three points. He says, the faith that Abraham had and the faith that you and I must have does three things. Faith first receives. Faith second believes. Faith third Cleaves. They all rhyme. Isn't that amazing? Faith first receives. Faith second believes. Faith 
third cleaves. It, it holds to. It hangs on to. So what Paul is arguing now is he's, he's asking basically this idea. What are you holding on to for your faith? What's holding your faith up? So you hear the message of Jesus and you go, okay, great. But what's propping that message up? What's supporting that message? What are you hoping in? What are you believing in? The word he uses to the end of the promise might be sure. What are you sure of? How are you so sure of the Lord Jesus Christ? How are we so certain that God will do what God said he would? What are you building your life on? Here's an even better question. What are you staking your eternal destiny on? What are you staking eternity on? How, how can we be so sure? How can we be so certain that God will do what God said he would? And by, you, by, by way of example of Abraham, he's showing us how we can know that we can be certain. Now, this is what I know about you. This is what I know about me. This is what I know about everybody in the world. Everyone is placing their faith somewhere. Everyone has some measure of faith, and everyone is placing that measure of faith in something. Maybe it's their good works. Maybe it's their church attendance. Maybe it's their morality. Well, I haven't done anything that bad. I haven't done anything that awful. Maybe it's in the idea that they're better than their neighbor. Well, I haven't done anything that bad, and I know that guy, he does things that's really, really bad. So where are you placing your faith? That's really what he's aiming at. And how can you be certain that your faith can hold up for all of eternity? So three ideas. The nature of faith. Faith receives God's word. Faith believes God's word. Faith cleaves to God's word. First, faith receives God's word. Look at verse number 17. For as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. So he's talking about what God told to Abraham. Before him... Whom he believed. Now we've already said this about faith, but faith is taking God at his word. Faith is accepting what God says as true. God said it, so that makes it true because it comes from God. Faith is taking God at his word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter number 10. So if you want to increase your faith, then you need to increase the amount of God's word that you're hearing. If you want your faith to grow, then you have to grow in the amount of God's word that you are bringing in. Sometimes people will say, Pastor, how do I just get more faith? I don't have enough faith. How do I, how do I get more faith? Well, if you, want to, if you want your faith to grow, if you want greater faith, then you need to spend more time in God's word. You need to have greater amounts of time in God's word in order to cause your faith to grow. Because what grows faith is the hearing of the word of God. So you need to commit yourself to church, Bible study, your devotional life. You need to commit yourself to reading, memorizing God's word. Hiding God's word in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. You'll notice what Abraham does. Abraham receives God's word. Before him... Verse 17, before him whom he believed, Abraham placed his faith, look here, not in a principle. Abraham placed his faith not in a set of beliefs. 
Abraham placed his faith in a person. Our, our faith, Christian faith, is not rooted in principle. Christian faith is rooted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's letter A, the individual of Abraham's faith. Abraham did not simply believe a person. Abraham did not, or, or Abraham did not simply believe a principle. Abraham believed in a person. Abraham did not believe in himself. Abraham believed in God. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the point there. In whom? Do you see it? Before him whom he believed. Whom Abraham believed. Abraham first believed in the person. Genesis chapter 15, God directs Abraham's attention. He says, Abraham, look at the stars. And as, as countless as the stars are, so countless will your seed be. So to a God who can create hundreds of millions of universes, nothing is impossible. Right? So, so this is the promise Abraham cleaves to. He considers who God is. He considers what God can do. He puts his faith in God. So since God can create the stars and the space and the universe, since that is who God is, then Abraham says, I believe in him. I believe in that person. I believe in him and God. So he says, in whom he believed, verse 17, even God. Abraham believed in God. You know this already because you've lived life long enough to understand it, but a promise is only as good as the person who gives it. How many of you have learned that already? A promise is only as good as the person who gives it. Sometimes with our kids, they'll say, Dad, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that. And I'll, a man and I will often will say, we'll respond to him, listen, consider the source. Consider the source. Where is it coming from? Who's saying it? C consider the source. Why? Because the promise or someone's word or something being said is only as good as the character of the person who is saying it. So why does Abraham believe this promise? Why does he stake his whole life on this promise? Here's why. Because it is the one who is giving the promise. Abraham stakes his whole life on this promise because it is God who is the one who is giving this promise to Abraham. And God's character, God's nature is the very foundation of, of who or what or why we hold to the promises. The, the individual of Abraham's faith. Letter B, the intelligence of Abraham's faith. The intelligence. Abraham did not just believe God in general. Even the devils believe in God. Right? Even, even the devils know God exists. Abraham does not just believe in God in general. Abraham believes something very specific about God. Abraham believes a very specific promise that God had made to him. And then Abraham adjusts his entire life around that promise. Look at it, verse number 17. Before him, whom he believed, even God, that's the individual of Abraham's faith, who, so he's talking about God. So even God, God who quickeneth the dead and who calleth all things which be not as though they were. Now that is a very, very powerful verse. So why does Abraham believe God? Why does Abraham base 
his life, adjust his life around this promise. Because Abraham knows the individual, but Abraham's faith is intelligent because Abraham considers God who can quicken, because God who can make alive, because God who can empower, because God who quickeneth the dead and who calleth those things which be not as though they were. Because that is a direct line back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then God spoke the world into existence. And Abraham's faith is intelligent. It's, it's rational in this way. Abraham is weighing it out and he's saying, if God, the person of God is telling me this promise, then I can stake my life in this promise. Why? Because God can speak worlds into existence. That's why. Because if he is God and he is telling me this, however impossible it seems, however improbable it may be, it is not impossible with God. It just rolls out all through the New Testament. Okay, nothing is impossible with God. You say, Pastor, you don't know my situation. You know how difficult my situation is. No, you're missing it. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing can stand against God. Paul argues later, if God be for us, well then, who can be against us? You see how this builds you up? You see how this supports you? You stabilizes you? God who quickeneth, God who maketh alive, God who enableth, God who can speak into existence the things that do not exist. I believe that God. I, I trust him. I stake my life on him. Here, Abraham looks at his own body. He considers, he considers it absolutely impossible for him to have children. He considers it absolutely impossible for Sarah even to have children at this point. He, can, he looks at himself and he says, this is humanly impossible. And then he looks at God and he goes, yeah, but God quickeneth. Yeah, but God maketh alive. Yeah, but God speaks into, into being things that do not currently exist. This is the God who we believe in. We we believe in a God who specializes in the impossible. That's what he's saying. We believe, hear me, hear me, this will really help you on a really, really dark day. We believe in a God who specializes in the impossible. We believe in a God who's strong when we're weak, who's, who's wise when we're foolish, who, who's good when we're bad who's there for us on our good days and dark days and bad days and desperate days. We believe in a God who works in impossible situations. Why? Because nothing's impossible to God. Nothing. Not even that thought you just had. Because your, your inner lawyer right now went, yeah, but you never met my boss. Yeah, 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 but you don't know my bills. Yeah, yeah, but you don't know, you don't know my, you don't know my parents. You, you don't understand my kids. You don't know about these relationship struggles. No, you, you're missing the point. We serve a God who is greater than all of this. 
We serve a God who moves in when everyone else moves out. We serve a God who loves to show himself big and powerful and mighty when we know ourselves to be weak. And brethren and sisters, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. This is one of the beautiful things about the New Testament. It shows us how good and great and big and wonderful and impossible our God is. So the individual of Abraham's faith is God. A promise is only good, as good as the person who gives it. The intelligence of Abraham's faith, Abraham considers... If God can quicken and make alive, and if God can speak into being things that do not exist, well then, that kind of God is worth believing in. But notice this, the intensity of Abraham's faith. The intensity of Abraham's faith. Look at verse number 18. Who against hope believed in hope. That is, that is a wonderful verse. Look, look what it is. Who against hope Hope believed in hope. Humanly speaking, his case was hopeless. But, but his case had been taken out of human hands. And his case had been placed into divine hands. And so from this point forward, Abraham's expectation, Abraham's anticipation is in that God will deliver on his promise. Abraham's expectation is that although he has no kids right now, he will have kids one day. Who against hope, believed in hope. That, that means this, watch. That Abraham started going around and he started acting like he was about to have children. He started building himself a nursery. He got that book of 5,000 baby names. Started thumbing through it and said, these people are ridiculous. What are they naming their children these days, right? He, I mean, he's, he began, who against hope, people walked by Abraham and go, what are you carrying around a book of baby names? Because <laughs> God told us we're going to have a kid. I'm going to start picking out a name right now. What do you mean? You know how old you are? You, you, your time is well past. And Sarah's time is well past. And man, that's, that's humanly impossible. And Abraham is considering who God is, the power God has. Man, the individual of the promise and then the intelligence of the promise. If God can speak into being things that do not exist, well then God says he'll do this. And God is good for his word. Who against hope believed in hope. Abraham makes a simple choice. He looks at himself. He looks at Sarah. He looks at the promise of God and he rightly concludes it's impossible with us but it's possible because of him. Okay, look, Abraham looks at himself, he looks at Sarah, and he goes, yep, we can't do this, but God can. Yeah, yeah, we can't do this, but God can. We aren't the only ones to face impossible situations. This is one of the greatest exhortations you get from the Bible. This is one of the greatest points of encouragement you find in the scriptures. We aren't the only ones to face difficult days. You, you aren't the only one to go through bad times. You aren't the only one to have struggles. And yet, 
Christian faith looks at the situation, considers the fact Abraham well in age and Sarah well past age of giving birth to children and then hearing the promise of God and then considering who God is and what God can do. Abraham believes the promise who against hope believes in hope. I had written in my notes that Abraham begins to, to pick out paint colors, but he, you know, he's not choosing between blue and pink. Abraham knew it would be a son, so he's not even picking out colors. He went and bought blue. He already knew who it was going to be. The intensity of Abraham's faith. Hear me on this. Faith in God is always an act of defiance against an alternative hope. You read the verse. Who against hope believed in hope. Who against hope believed in hope. Faith in God is always an act of defiance against an alternative hope. See, everybody in your, everybody in your world is trying to give you this alternative hope. Well, it'll be okay because... And well, you have, you, have, you, have, you have work and well, you got that promotion. And I, I mean, I know this didn't work out for you, but you have this. And everyone's trying to offer you a substitute hope apart from God himself. See, an act of faith, act of faith in God is, faith in God is an act of defiance against an alternative hope. I'm not going to hope in promotion. I'm not going to hope in satisfaction. I'm not going to hope in good, just good pleasure. I'm not going to hope in just... Just friendship, relationship, I'm not going to hope in money. I'm not going to hope in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I'm not going to hope in, no, I'm going to hope in God. My hope is in God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God because if God says this will happen, then, man, then we have it on good authority that it will happen because God speaks worlds into existence. He specializes in the impossible. And you're right. When I look at me, it's impossible. But when I look at God, it's very, very possible because nothing's impossible with God. Faith in God is an act of defiance against an alternative hope. You see, this is where, it's where so many people come up frustrated in this world. They're believing in alternative hope. They just believe in an alternative hope. Now, faith in God rejects alternative hope, and faith in God accepts Hope, belief in who God is and what God does and how God is and the character God has and the promise that God made. Okay, we got to get off that one now. Faith receives, faith believes. Look at, look at verse 19. I love verse 19. I love how it starts. And being not weak in faith. And being not weak in faith. Do, do you know why Abraham was not weak in faith? Why was Abraham strong in faith? Well, how do you get strong in your faith? How do you grow your faith? Well, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So Abraham is not weak in faith. Abraham is strong in faith. Why is Abraham strong and not weak? Because Abraham is receiving God's Word. Because Abraham is holding to God's Word. He's believing God's Word. Abraham is not weak in faith. No, Abraham is strong in faith in that he received God's Word, which is point one. Second, he considered, verse 19, he considered not his own body, now dead, but when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Three things in about believing God's word. Abraham believed God's promise. A promise here is 
synonymous with God's word. God's word is a promise. God's word, the Bible is a promise of what God will do. The Bible is God going on record for what God will do. He's saying, here you go, here's what I will do. Here are the things I will do. Here are the ways that I'll work. Here's the grace I'll give. Here's the faith you need. Abraham believed the promise of God. He received and accepted God's word. There are not very many people in this world who are good for their word. But, but hear me on this. God is always good for his word. See, the promises of God are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? That means everything God promises to do, God has already done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, remember a couple weeks ago we said what's true of Jesus is true of me? So when God sees me, he sees Jesus. Why? Because I put my faith in Jesus? There are not very many people in this world whose word is any good at all, but God's word is sure. His promise is true. It's certain. It is forever settled in heaven and will never, pay, it will never fade or pass. I combined both of those words, so I'm just making it like a past. God's word will never fade or pass away. It's true. It's good. You can believe God's promise. Second, he believed in God's power. Look at verse 21. There's so many things in this. I, I don't have time, but wonderful, wonderful things you can study for homework. But look at verse 21. And being fully persuaded, being fully persuaded. So he, he goes around, he starts building a nursery. He's anticipating, he's, expect, he's expecting what, that God will do this. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he, or God, was able to, perform, to also perform. This is a wonderful phrase. Able also to perform. God is able to do what God said he would do. There's, there's no deficiency in God. That's what he's saying. God is, God is able. God has the ability. God has the strength. God is omnipotent. So that's a, another $5 word. God is omnipotent. He has, he has all power. And God is able to do whatever it is that God said he would do. God is able. God is strong. He is able to perform the promises that he in return gives. God is powerful. I can, I can say, well, I'm gonna, I'll make a promise. If, if you do something to me, I'll make a promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust you right in the face, man. And you would you'd consider the facts, you'd weigh the options, and you'd go, he is not able. No, no, but when you look at God, you consider the options, what's possible, impossible, where strength relies, where strength rests. When you weigh the word of God, the character of God, you know what you reckon about God? You know what you, you know what you, the answer you come to about God? The answer you come to about God is, huh, no, God's able. No, God's able. No, God is able to do whatever God wants to do 
because he's God. I, I could give you a thousand illustrations on this. We don't have time. Just read the Gospels. Read how Jesus walks over and on water. Read what Jesus does to, to legions, demons, of, uh, troops of demons. Read what Jesus does to death. Read what Jesus does to disease and sickness. Read what Jesus does when he comes into contact with blindness. Read, read all, all of these are demonstrations of what? All of these are demonstrations of his power. None of them have power over him. Even death, hell, and the grave, even that doesn't have power over Jesus. Why? Because Jesus laid his life down willingly on the cross, and then Jesus picked up his own life again when he resurrected from the grave three days later. Even death doesn't have dominion over Jesus. So when I consider all of this, I go, oh, no, no, no. See, if, if he can be that and he can be this and he is stronger than that and he can create worlds with him what that must mean is my god is able you see how this builds your faith you see how this strengthens your faith you see how it grows it you believe god's power last let us see he believed god in practice okay so I'm not trying to be crude or vulgar just ask you a very spe specific question do you believe that Abraham and Sarah slept together? Of course they did. Of course they did. So he, he received a promise, and then he acted on the promise. He received the promise from God, and then he acted on the promise. He, he put two steps of faith. That's what we looked at last week. He put into, this, to, he put into his walk steps of faith. So, so faith, Christian faith, hears the promise of God, considers who God is, all that God can do. And then Christian faith acts on the promise that God has given. It follows through. It does. It, it responds to the word that God has just given. Abraham, listen, Abraham obeyed God's word in that Abraham, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham through Abraham and Sarah's obedience. Do you understand that? God fulfilled his promise to Abraham through the obedience of Abraham and Sarah. Christian faith responds appropriately to the word of God. Christian faith does not just sit back and go, okay, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, no. Christian faith responds obediently to the promise that it has received. Faith, Christian faith, is more of a verb than a noun. It's more of, more of action than just person, place, thing, or idea. It's, it's actually putting into practice the promise that it has received. And God's word, God gives his word before God reveals his power. God gives his word before God reveals his power. And in receiving God's word, we respond appropriately. And our obedience is often the way that God shows his omnipotence. That was really good. And I don't want you to miss it, so I'm going to say it again. Our obedience 
is often the way that God shows his omnipotence. The way God shows he's able, the way God shows he's strong, the way God shows he's big is inside of our obedience, of our proper response to him. Are Abraham and Sarah perfect? Nope. Are you perfect? Nope. Am I perfect? Be careful how you answer that. Am I perfect? Nope. No. But our works, our good works of faith can be truly good even though they are not perfectly good. And the good work that Abraham and Sarah did is that they believed what God had said and they were obedient in what God had promised and then they responded appropriately through obedience to the promise that God had given to them. They adjusted their entire lives around the promise. And being fully persuaded that he, God, had promised and that God was able also to perform. Verse 22. Therefore, it is imputed to him for righteousness. You see how that works? Third, last. Faith cleaves to God's word. The conclusion then. The conclusion of the, of the case is that Abraham was justified by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. And the way that you are justified, made righteous in the sight of God is by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. It's counted to Abraham as righteous. What was? His faith. His obedient faith. The proper response to God's word was counted as righteousness to an unrighteous Abraham. And what's counted to righteousness for you? What counts righteousness for you? What will you do with your sin? What will, you prop, what will prop you up for eternity? What, what will hold you up? What promise? What hope do you have for eternity? And are you certain of it? Simple question. Is your life marked by obedience in faith? Is your life marked by obedience in faith. I'm not asking you if, you if you never struggle. No, of course you do, and so do I. I'm not asking you if you're perfect, of course you're not, and neither am I. What I'm asking you is, is your relationship with God marked by obedience to God rooted in faith? Here's why that's such a huge question. Because what pleases God? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By faith, and then it rolls out Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, and by faith, Enoch, and by faith, Moses, and by faith, David, and by faith, right? All the way down the list, their lives are marked by what? Faith. 
faith. So it's my question to you. Is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith?